We are in Matthew 9. So we have already had, um, as Mitchell shared, just a, a very full morning. Very, very uh, grateful uh, to have had Pastor Butch and Susan Hudson. Pastor Butch pastored here for over 18 years uh, with us this morning. Just so good to see them and to be able to celebrate uh, so much of what they had uh laid the groundwork for. We know the Lord has done the work, but uh, he has worked mightily through uh, many, and they are two at the top. So very uh, great morning. Matthew 9, uh, we are going to be in 9 through 13. So many people, when they think of uh, religion, they think religion's for good people. Well, the truth is that it's actually for bad people who simply know how bad they are. And that's the case this morning as we're going to look at uh, what will really be part of a little autobiography that Matthew will share. Augustine, fourth century theologian, says this, Lord, save me from that wicked man myself. John Wesley wrote, I am fallen short of the glory of God. My whole heart is altogether corrupt and abominable. And consequently, my whole life, seeing an evil tree, cannot bring forth good fruit. And then as one of the old hymn writers of the 1700s, Augustus Toplady, quite the name, right? <coughs> Augustus Toplady, who wrote one of the great songs of the faith we know of, Rock of Ages, you know the song? Rock of Ages, clap for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Amen. There you go. Somebody was singing good back there. I could hear it. He wrote this. It's pretty interesting. This is in the 1700s. Wrote this. Oh, that such a wretch as I should ever be tempted to think highly of himself. I that am myself nothing but sin and weakness in whose flesh dwells no good thing. We're reminded as uh, Matthew here is uh, one of the vilest men in his community. But Paul takes it even one step further. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This is the Apostle Paul understanding that he himself was the chief of all sinners, as he would share about himself. Matthew here, as we're going to read about, understood where he came from. And so the first thing we're going to see this morning is the high call to follow Jesus. Matthew is a tax collector that we're going to share about in a little bit. And Jesus, as we looked last week, has healed a man with paralysis, quite probably his whole life, 
Remember, he had been brought to Jesus by his four friends who literally cut a hole in the roof to lower him down to Jesus. And Jesus healed him physically, but more importantly, Jesus healed him spiritually. He forgave him of his sins. And this created a bit of a, uh, an uproar amongst the religious leaders as they would uh, cry that Jesus is blasphemed because only God has the authority to forgive sins and that Jesus here is claiming to be God who he is. So we don't know the, uh, whether this is literally the same afternoon, could have been the next day, but sometime very shortly after that, uh, Jesus is going to leave from Peter's house. We Most uh, theologians believe that uh, Peter's house is the base of operation now in Capernaum for Jesus and the disciples and that that miracle took place in Peter's house and so he has left this area and he has walked down along the Sea of Galilee. As you read in Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5 we kind of get to fill in a few pieces that that Matthew doesn't fully give us but it says as he passed on from there he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and said to him follow me you see christ called matthew to come to him matthew may have known about jesus it's a not a large metropolitan area it was a decent size capernaum was a, a gateway city it was a city in which uh, the roads coming from the east and west met so there was a lot of uh, traffic that would come through capernaum and there was a, a, a harbor there. It was a fishing port. It was a fishing town. We know that Peter and Andrew and James and John are from this area. So um, they get a, a decent amount of traffic. But, but still, we don't have any record that Matthew had had any interaction with Jesus. Uh, he may have known of him, but did not know him. But Jesus, in passing by, without ever striking a conversation with Matthew, says these simple two words, follow me. Why are those words so significant? Because those are the same words he cries out to each of us who have followed Christ Jesus, that we are to follow him, and it is a high calling. But here as we look at this gospel account, we see a man that we kind of have a bit of a distorted view of. Uh, I don't think we really understand how uh, despised Matthew was. If you've seen many movies or television shows, they, they kind of paint Matthew uh, to be a, a decent guy. But the reality is Matthew was probably the most wicked, wretched man in Capernaum. John Stott, in writing about this account, says, Our Christian life began not with our decision to follow Christ, but with God's call to do so. You see, Matthew was a publican. Not a Republican, but a publican. No good? So he, as a publican, was a tax collector. Now, they were a, a kind of a special breed in and of themselves, for they were serving Rome. But Matthew is a Jew. So for a Jew to not only serve Rome, but to, in essence, be collecting taxes for Rome against his very own people. You see, when Rome took over Palestine, they wanted to exact taxes. So they had a, a plethora of taxes that they placed on the people. So as people living in the land of Palestine, uh, they would have even the opportunity, like Matthew, to be a tax collector. 
one that would, in essence, work for the Roman government and gave them the right to operate a taxation system in a certain district or a certain town with the direct result of collecting these taxes on people. So when Matthew bought into this Roman system, he revealed himself as a traitor to Israel. Nothing in the mind of a Jew was as heinous as one who was anti-nationalist and anti-Jew. As Alfred Urcham, who was an, uh, lived in the 1800s, he was a Messianic Jew, he was born Jewish and would later come to faith in Christ, wrote in uh, his great work, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. He wrote uh, extensively in these areas. He was a, a brilliant scholar. Uh, he had uh, knew the Babylonian Talmud well. He knew Jewish history and Jewish tradition well. And he says this about the publican and the tax collectors. He says, in this day, if you were one of these, you could not attend the synagogue. Now understand, this is a Jewish community, so he's speaking uh, as a Jew to Jews. You were not, uh, could not attend the synagogue. You were barred from the people. Uh, you couldn't even have religious interactivity with the people. You were, quote-unquote, if you were listed, meaning you were placed on a list with unclean beast of the Old Testament. You were like a swine. You were the lowest of the low. They were forbidden to be a witness in a court of law because they could not be believed. They were known as flagrant liars. They wouldn't even allow their testimony. They were classified with robbers and murderers. Now, uh, Urcham tells us there are two categories of tax collectors in this time. We have the general tax collectors, and their job were to take the regular taxes that we might think of. There was a land tax or a ground tax, which is similar to our property tax. There was an income tax, and then there was a poll tax. Not a pope tax, a pope tax, but a poll tax. The pope tax didn't come around until uh, late 1400s, and they were indulgences, which were horrific. But if you think of this poll tax, you would have had the income and the land tax. The land tax was about one-tenth of uh, your property, one-fifth of your uh, fruit and wines. The income tax was at least 1% of your money earned, but this poll tax was a figure that varied. Now, this general tax collector, their title in Hebrew was gabaya, like gabaya to your money, right? You feel that way every time April rolls around? Goodbye, there goes all the hard-earned money. You know, the, the goal is to break even, right? You don't want to give the government more money than you have to along the way. So tax season, the goal is to break even. That's what they say. This general tax collector, this Gabai, his basic job was simply to collect these regular taxes and then any surcharges that would also uh, be applied for his own pocket. So he would be uh, 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 making his money this way. But uh, Urcham says there is a, another type of tax collector, and this one dealt in the taxes that would, be, that would be on everything. If you owned a ship, you would be taxed. If you walked on the dock to the ship, you could be taxed. For every fish you caught, you could be taxed. Now, these duties were given to a different person. This person was called a Mokis, M-O-K-H-E-S, a Moki. 
he was able to collect tax on all imports, exports, anything bought, anything sold, every road, every bridge, every harbor, every town, every single thing he could collect taxes on. Archam even says that they could invent taxes if they wanted to. So if you ever uh, had a desire to own any type of business, you would have to pay uh, this Moki a tax. And they would literally have the ability to open even letters you might have, anything that could Im implicate you as owning a business or having any possessions they could tax you well. So it says that the, the goodbye were despised. No one likes a uh, tax collector. So if you work for the IRS this morning, we love you. The Mokis, though, were even more despised. They had unlimited power in how they could abuse the system. They were oppressive and unjust. But if you look at this, he says further that they would be the ones that would be sitting at this crossroads where uh, Jesus finds Matthew. But he goes on to say that even within this camp, there are two kinds. There are one kind called the Great Mokis, and they were the ones who would hire someone to sit at the table and they would themselves stay behind the scenes. Basically, they didn't want to get their hands dirty. They would hire someone to collect the taxes. They wanted to at least keep the appearance of a good reputation. But then there was a, another group that the Hebrews called the small mokis. They literally collected them ta the taxes themselves. They would sit at the table. They were too cheap to pay someone else, trying to profit all they could. And they were not concerned about their reputation at all. They did everything themselves. So it was worse to be a Moki, but far worse to be a small Moki. Well, Matthew was a small Moki. He was literally the worst man in Capernaum. As far as the people were concerned, he was the most wretched human being they knew. They hated him. And yet this is the man that Jesus will call to come follow him. Gives us pretty good hope, doesn't it? <laughs> that this man, this most wretched of sinners, despised and hated by everyone, is the one that Jesus will walk by and say, follow me. Now in 2 Timothy 8, Paul, in sharing about his calling, says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now have been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. This idea here of, of a holy calling and, and here uh, to be appointed is the same idea of one who is called. We are called unto salvation, but we are also called to serve faithfully, to allow God to take those gifts, those talents, those abilities that he has given us and that we are to use those for his good and his glory. Robert Murray McShane, the old Scottish preacher, says, When the voice of Christ speaks through the word, then you will arise and leave all and follow him. You see, Matthew was 
minding his own business. He was doing his job. He, he probably didn't have um, a lot else going on. This was a pretty uh, full-time gig. But as he sits there that day, Scripture does not record there have been any prior conversations, and Jesus simply says, follow me, and notice his response. He rose and followed him. He didn't ask Jesus if he could have the rest of the day or maybe a week to get things in order, that he could find someone to take his job or, or to collect whatever possessions he was going to take. No, he leaves and follows Jesus now, this is critical to understand because when Matthew leaves, he is leaving his entire occupation. He is not going to be able to go back to this way of life. When he follows Christ, he fully follows. You see, if you think about Peter and Andrew, James and John, they were fishermen. So if things didn't quite work out with Jesus, there was probably a, a good bet they would be able to return to their livelihoods. They'd be able to go back to, uh, by and large, the life that they had lived. But not Matthew. You see, Matthew, when he got up from that table, there would have been someone right away ready to slip in who would have been just as eager to make money off of extorting others. Matthew would never be the same when you and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, we should never be the same. We are a new creation. When we follow Christ, we are to follow Him completely. I remember when I was serving, just we were just uh, volunteering here in this church, just uh, working, volunteering with the youth. And God had laid on uh, my heart this calling to uh, to follow him completely uh, we had given him uh, we had come to faith in christ but there was more that was in store we had recently not that much before that had moved into the area had literally moved into our dream house uh, my wife will love this story we built this house. It was, uh, she designed this house. It was, it was um, where we were going to raise our family. Well, God, God had other plans. Amen? Sometimes it doesn't work out the way we think. And that's a good thing. So we were there serving. Life is going. Good job. Everything going well. And we knew God had called us. And we were there one day. And so we get the mail from the pastor over at Wins Baptist. I mean, really, we get the pastor's mail. So we're opening everything and reading all this stuff in his mail. I'm just kidding. We didn't open his mail. It's a federal offense. You don't open other people's mail. You go to jail for that, David. It's punishable. But he had a Herald Progress. Anyone here still get the Herald Progress? Anybody? No? Are they still in existence? I don't think they print this anymore. So we get the Hell Progress, and we didn't even open the Hell Progress. My wife, so this is really, you know, it's, it's all on her. She looks on the back of it, and on the back of it is this uh, opening for this part-time youth uh, director over at Wins. I'd never set foot in Wins. Grew up in this area. Anyway, long story short, we uh, go over there, and, and anyway, we, we, we accept that. Served there for a little bit, a year and a half, and then they asked if I would consider coming on full-time. Well, um, you don't go into youth ministry to make money. Matter of fact, it was a substantial, substantial uh, decrease. And within a few years, we actually sold that house. <laughs> so, but she doesn't hold grudges. Thank 
Woolworth, she really has been wonderful because that's hard. You build your dream house. God had other plans. And so through that process and um, uh, but but we knew and, and that's still not to the extent of what Matthew left. But sometimes you have to give up even the things that are, are good things. They were not bad things. I wasn't tax collecting. But to follow Christ fully means sacrifice. It means that we do not get to call the shots. And we don't hear a lot about calling nowadays, but, but, uh, but, but, uh, but God still calls people. He calls people to himself, and he calls people. Many of you are, are called to a vocation that, that God has given you. And he has given you that vocation for his glory. Matthew here, as he gets up, the second thing is he heeds the mission. He is going to respond. I had to look up this word, but Merriam-Webster uh, defines heed as to give consideration or attention to. Uh, to heed the call. Matthew responds. He doesn't just sit there. He immediately gets up. If you read in the Gospel of Luke, it says, And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. He left everything. All that he had, he left behind. Paul Washer says that if following Jesus Christ doesn't cost you anything, it's because you bought into American Christianity. And if you've never listened to Paul Washer, I could highly recommend that. But you cannot follow Christ without considering the cost. Jesus' own words, that there is a cost. First Peter tells us that but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. When Matthew got up that day, his life was forever changed and he could never go back to the way he was matter of fact he was so uh, excited he decides to throw uh, a big dinner matter of fact the gospel of luke says he, he threw a feast a feast so we know that matthew uh, quite probably had a, a decent amount of possessions he had a, a pretty large house to be able to host this feast uh, he invites all his friends, which are, are those that have been despised like him, those that are uh, not well-received, not well-liked, matter of fact, probably uh, greatly hated in his day. But if we, like Matthew, are to surrender to Christ, then that means we have to surrender our will. Our will to God's will. What God's will is should be our will. And whatever it is that he has called you to do, we should do so to ultimately bring honor and glory to God. If you are an electrician, then you should do that to the glory of God. If you are a teacher, you should do so for the glory of God. If you drive a truck, or, or maybe your calling is to be a, a mom or a dad, but whatever we are called to, we should do so to the glory of God. That means we should be looking for opportunities to not only give God the glory, but to bring honor to His Son, Jesus, through the proclaiming of the gospel. A.W. Tozier says that for if I am to wholly follow the Lord Jesus Christ, I must forsake everything that is contrary to him. That's easier said than done. Amen. But if I am to wholly follow the Lord Jesus Christ, I must forsake everything that is contrary to him. 
We see this played out in the Gospel of Luke in the 18th chapter in the, in the, uh, the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, it says, had many, many possessions. And he said, what must I do to follow you? And Jesus told him to, to go and to sell all his possessions. Now, that's not what he's probably told maybe nobody in here. But he did at that time. And it says the rich young ruler went away sad. But notice further in this same passage in Luke 18 in verse 28, Peter says this. He says, see, we have left our homes and followed you. He says, we've given up a lot. We have sacrificed. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Now, this is not health and wealth. Okay, this is not naming and claiming. This is not a prosperity gospel that if you do give up, then God just gives you everything. But, but God is a good father, and he cares for his children. And even though you may not get all that your heart desires, but if it is of the Lord, and even if, it are, even if there are things that are going to be used for his good and his glory, then God can bless his children. Matthew, we know from history's record, never regained this earthly wealth. As a matter of fact, he not only never regained his earthly wealth, Matthew himself would die sharing the gospel. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, it is recorded that Matthew would take the gospel to Parthia and Ethiopia. It says in which later country, being Ethiopia, he suffered martyrdom. It was there that he gave his life in the city of Nabata around A.D. 60. He fully bought in. He gave his life. Interesting, we just shared this last week, and it wasn't planned, but we just shared last week. That, I mean, there are 12 Ethiopian church plants in northern Virginia today. That's because of the faithfulness of, of a man like Matthew, who did what God called him to do. He followed Christ, he left it all, and was simply obedient to the gospel and would ultimately go and share the gospel in an area that desperately needed it. And today we are seeing that played out still because of his faithfulness. Many of you will remember almost a year ago we had uh, Stephen Bray, who pastors Calvary Baptist uh, in St. John's, Newfoundland, uh, who actually helps head up Milwood Mission. Stephen will be with us again on November 12th, uh, sharing with us this year. But he was sharing that when we were kind of going around the, the area uh, back in the springtime that, you know, this is the least churched city area in all of North America. All in North America, Lee's Church, very, very dark, very uh, desolate place. Uh, a lot of uh, old uh, Catholic buildings. It was uh, is the second highest percentage of Irish Catholics outside of Ireland. But just incredible lostness. But he said that when, when people come to faith in Christ, uh, he said they, they get fully saved. And his point was when they, when they come to faith, they're all in. There's no, I'm just going to still just, you know, kind of play in the world as much as I can and, and just kind of play the part of a Christian when I can. No, they're like all in. All they have is on board. You know, like Matthew, they're like, hey, we're in, we're following, 
all that we have, we're leaving this behind, and we are following. They heed the mission. Christ has called each of us to this mission. But it is not a mission we do on our own. No, it is a mission with Christ. That's why it's called the great what? Commission. It is with mission, co-mission. We are on mission with Christ. We are not on our own. He doesn't just give us a, an assignment and send us out uh, to figure it out. No, he simply invites us to join him, to follow him. And when Matthew hears these words, he's, he, he understands enough that he is going to gather everyone he can it says, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So they have gone to Matthew's house. Matthew has invited Jesus and the disciples to his house. But notice these words, that one, Jesus is reclined at the table. And secondly, the tax collectors and the sinners are reclining. So this is the, the, a picture of, of an intimate setting. They're not just standing around the room holding these little conversations. They are at the dinner table. They are reclining. They're relaxed. They're, they're sharing life with each other. Jesus is sharing the truth with these men that Matthew has invited. He has invited them to come to dinner. We are in a, a, a short time going to take of the Lord's Supper this morning. The Lord's Supper is an invitation that Jesus extends to all those who have by faith trusted in Him as their Lord and Savior. It is an invitation to come and to dine with Him. This was a, a supper. It's called the Lord's Supper. It's not a snack. It's not, a, it's not just about a, a cup of juice and, and a wafer. It was that we would come and dine with our king. And this dinner invitation, Jesus is the one who's made the reservation. He purchased the reservation with his blood. But here he is with Matthew's friends. So he heeds the mission, but he is the hope for the hopeless. He knows these are those who are most in need. They're all in need, but he knows that they are those that society has already cast aside as wretched. They know they are unrighteous, as opposed to the religious crowd that we see in verse 11. It says, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Have we ever been accused of that? Has anyone ever accused you and I of eating with a sinner? You're a Christian. What are you doing with that person? Why did you invite that lost neighbor over your house? You know he's been stealing from you or he says bad things. Why did you do that? Simple. It's because it's what Jesus did. You remember the whole WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, let's just do what he did in the Bible. What if we actually had this burden for the lost? That we actually invited them into our home or, or invited them to lunch or to dinner? We like to go out to do those things, but when's the last time you did so with someone who did not know Christ. He was committed to reach the loss. 
In the Gospel of Luke, it says, and Levi, which is the same as Matthew, made a great feast in his house. He understood that even that house, that he was probably going to potentially lose, but his house was of the Lord. You've heard the old saying, the church is not a museum for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. But the truth of the matter is, she is a morgue for the dead. Because we, prior to faith in Christ, the Bible says, are spiritually dead. We are dead men walking. We are spiritually dead, separated from God by our sin, living in our sin, and being at that point still responsible for our sin. But Christ Jesus calls you and I. We didn't just stumble upon this. We were called to follow him, to trust him, to believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. We had a friend for many years, and, and this friend was, was, uh, came out of a lot and struggled with a lot, but he had a, a burden for the lost. And he would always open his house for people to come to hear the gospel. He would always be like, hey, come on over. I've got, some, I've got this you know, group of heathens coming over. He didn't use that language, but he would say, I've got this whole group of people coming over. I want you to come over and I want you to tell them about Jesus. But he was sincere in that he wanted people to hear the gospel. So uh, my a challenge this morning is to, to look around you, not like here right now, although if you came with, if you came with someone that uh, you're not sure, that's, start there. But, but who do you know? Maybe it's those that you work with. Maybe it's those that are in your own family. Uh, maybe it's those that you uh, have a neighbor. Who can you invite to share the gospel with? Who can you invite to the dinner table? Because that's where we gather for the most intimate occasions. That's where we gather as a family. We, we share about what's going on in our lives. We encourage one another. But how can we live this life without sharing this good news. Matthew's life and reputation was forever changed. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians that therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he, being God, made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was countercultural. He went against the grain. He didn't do what was the norm. Even in this facet, a rabbi in this day would have simply sat and waited for a student to, to come along and they would ask the rabbi if they would teach them, if they could learn from them. No, Jesus sought out his students. This uh, big word is a, a peripatetic. A peripatetic rabbi was, was basically one who traveled from place to place. 
He didn't work particularly in any one area very long. Here he does have for a short season his bases in Capernaum, but we know he travels around. And as he is traveling, he is teaching, he is modeling, he is setting the example for his disciples. They are seeing the way he interacts with the lost. They see the way that he spends time with the Father. And as they witness this, they in turn go forth and do the same. We are called to follow Christ, but we are called to live a life that points to Christ. How can we do so? We do so by growing in Christ. We do so by engaging the lost. Now, that doesn't mean you just show up in the, most, in, in, the, in the worst possible environment that you shouldn't be in. But you have people in your midst that need the gospel. Could you imagine a doctor that never got his hands dirty? A doctor that didn't want to treat you because he was fearful of catching a, a germ or a disease? Can you imagine a surgeon that didn't actually, that didn't actually uh, do surgery? It'd be crazy. But Jesus got his hands dirty. He spent time with sinners, which were and maybe still is you and I. We must have this type of compassion, this type of brokenness. Because notice it says when Jesus heard the Pharisees says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are what? Sick. You ever feel 100% healthy, things are going great, and you call your doctor? To just say, hey, let's go hang out and have a burger. Have you ever been out to dinner with your burger? No. Anyway, so he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You see, that's what the religious leaders did. They, they knew the sacrificial system. They were doing all of these acts to try to earn what they felt was God's affection. He said, no, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He's quoting Hosea 6.6. 6. And you know, uh, if you've read through Hosea, he is calling his children. Hosea is a prophet, but the children of Israel have uh, just they've abandoned God. They've turned their back on him. They have, uh, they have worshipped false idols. They are not walking with the Lord. But God in his graciousness is, is sending them Hosea and, and other prophets to call them back to himself where he is going to, he is trying to restore them. They have committed adultery. They are idolaters. They are uh, completely abandoned all that God has done for them. But that is you and I. You and I were not looking for God. We, like Matthew, were sitting there doing, minding our own business, and Christ called you. But Christ doesn't call you to then just continue to sit. God calls you to a mission, His mission. We're getting ready to finish here, but Charles Spurgeon says this, The gospel is preached in the ears of all. It only comes with power to some. The power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise, men would be converters of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it would consist in the wisdom of men. We might preach till our tongues rotted, till we should exhaust our lungs and die. But never a soul would be converted unless there were mysterious power going with it. The Holy Ghost changing the will of man. Oh, sirs. We might as well preach to stone walls as to preach to humanity unless the Holy Ghost be with the word. 
to give it power to convert the soul. If we are faithful and we trust the Lord, then we will share the good news. We will share the word of God, the truth. We cannot save anybody, but we can proclaim the truth. And by the working of the Spirit of God through the Word of God, God's Word makes it very clear He will save people. God is in the saving business. God has saved you, but not just so that you can now do whatever you desire. No, God has saved you so that you will now join Him on His mission that you will not only share the gospel, but you will then walk with those who come to faith, that we are to make disciples. See, evangelism and discipleship are two oars on the same boat. It's both and. It's not either or. It is to call people to faith, to call people to repentance by sharing the gospel. But when that person, by God's mercy and God's grace, that person comes to faith, it is then walking with that person as they grow in the grace and the knowledge and the truth of Jesus Christ. It is helping that person grow so that one day at some point that person also will go and do the same. And that's how we make disciples who make disciples. Uh, Dawson Troutman, who founded the Navigators back in the, in the 1930s, had a, a famous quote that said, If your disciple is not making disciples, you're not making disciples. The one command we are all given is to make disciples. That's it. We're not called to make converts. We're not called to build churches. We're not called to, to do all these things that we get busy doing. We are called to make disciples. And that starts with those who are closest to us. That starts by pouring into our families and pouring into our friends and investing in our neighbors. If you think for a second you live where you live and you work where you work because somehow coincidentally you just happen to get that job and that house. No. God has placed you there. God has you there for His purpose, for His good, for His pleasure. Allow God's Spirit to lead us and to guide us. And we will seek out those that He will place in our paths. We need to invite those to come hear the gospel. We need to invite them to come and receive the truth. I would encourage you today that, that this table here that we will partake in in just a matter of moments is a table that others can come to when they come to faith. Jesus calls us to the highways and the byways to, to go out and to draw and call people to faith. If you're here this morning and you yourself have never by faith trusted in Jesus Christ alone as your Lord and Savior, then that's the first step because this table is invitation only. This is table is for family. And it's for family who have by faith trusted in Jesus Christ. And if you have uh, kids with you today and they've never uh, come to faith, then this is a chance to teach them, but this is not for them at this moment. It is for those who are saved. But we should be reminded when we come to the table that there are those who have never tasted of the table because they are not saved. May we have that burden. So uh, as we, in just a moment, call our men forward and we partake in the Lord's Supper, may we be reminded of those that are far from God. May we be broken to pray specifically for them. Maybe that's even now. Maybe one of the things that we need to pray for is the lost before we come to the table. 
Have you passed on opportunities to share the gospel? Times that God has placed men or women or, 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 or friends and neighbors right in your path. But in our haste and our busyness and in all the things that happen, we neglected to do the one thing we were called to do. So what I want you to, when you, when you get ready to come, I want you to take a few moments to just pray to the Lord that the very Spirit of God will reveal areas in our own hearts that need to come clean, that we need Him to clean, that we need to repent of. And maybe that's for not sharing the truth. Maybe we have neglected what it is that God has called us to do. So I want to encourage us as I pray that we would consider all of this. Father, we thank you for your word that, God, your word has clearly spoken to us. That, Father, just as Matthew had to leave all, that, God, you have not necessarily called everyone here to to leave everything but father we are to place aside anything that is contrary to your will and if that is possessions then so be it but but father may we just be obedient to the simple truths of the gospel that we are to go and make disciples that means we have to be open available and faithful that we have to be willing to share the gospel we're not trying to offend anyone, but Father, if someone gets offended by the gospel, that is because of the truth, not because of us. But Father, may we be broken for the lost. May we have a deep burden that breaks our heart for those that are far from you. Many are in our own homes and neighborhoods. And Father, if they were to perish today, that they would be eternally separated from a loving God in an eternal place called hell. May we not be content with that, but may we sincerely and urgently share the truth, leaving the results to you, but trusting that, God, you are faithful. So, Father, as we get ready to partake of this table, may we be reminded of the ultimate price that was paid, the shedding of Christ's blood, the Father, He died the death we should have died. He lived the life that we could not live, and He exchanged places with us. He took on my sin and my shame, and He imparted on me His righteousness so that I have been invited to this table to remember the ultimate price. So, Father, we praise You and we thank You. In Jesus' name, amen.